If you have a Bible tonight, let's turn to our psalm we've been looking at, 34, Psalm 34. And uh, we'll move on down to uh, verses um, 8 through 10 tonight. And there's a part of this that will be very familiar to you. Songs have been written about it. People have preached on it and talked about it. So Psalm 34, 8 through 10. Okay, give you a chance. You got it? Psalms is one of those books that's a little easier to find than Haggai or something like that. But uh, if you ever have trouble with something, don't hesitate to look in your Bible in the table of contents. Uh, some people say, I'd just be embarrassed to do that. Don't be embarrassed. The most important thing is that you find it. And as you do that, you'll figure out where they are. Um, when I was a little kid, I can remember my parents would always, you know how when you're a little kid, everything's kind of cute and they want you to do things and put on a show for people. And my, one of mine was when I was about four, recite the books of the Bible and I could recite them. I can't now, but I could then. And every once in a while when I look in the Old Testament, you know, for one of those little minor prophets... Uh, they're kind of hard to find and figure them all out. And so uh, th there's no shame in that. We all have trouble with it sometimes. Just make sure you find it. But Psalms is easy because it's right in the middle. So we're in 34 and we'll start reading in verse 8 because I'm going to assume you've all got it now. Am I right? Okay. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever heard that? That's a very familiar verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, his holy ones, literally. There is no want or need unmet to those who fear him, those who reverence him. Verse 10. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. So what a, what a precious word that is and uh, wonderful promises for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the invitation from the Holy Spirit for us. The Lord has abundant blessings. He provides for all of our needs. He's merciful. He's kind. He's good. And then we're invited, come and see for yourself. When it says taste and see, that would be one way we can understand that. Come and see for yourself about the goodness of the Lord. Now I want you to think, whenever you sin, whenever you willingly, knowingly sin, what do you think God's attitude toward you is? Well, one of the things we know is that the Lord is rich in mercy. How many times do we read that in the Scripture? That He forgives. And sometimes I think we know what well, we say, I know He forgives but he probably doesn't want to. And he's probably going to make me pay. And he's probably going to make me wait to really get the forgiveness. And I want you to think, what, what do you know about the Lord? Now, if we go back and think about Jesus and the disciples, what do we always find about the disciples? They always were kind of falling short of the expectation and failing the test, right? You know, Peter would uh, say things when the Lord himself, I mean, if, if Jesus ever were walking beside you and telling you, hey, Peter, you're getting ready to deny me, and Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat, but uh, don't be afraid, I have prayed for you. 
don't do like Peter and then jump in the middle of that and say something foolish like, everyone else may deny you, but not me. Now, um, some of us have learned the hard way. Anytime you say, I will never do that, you just put a target on your back for the enemy because they want to make a fool out of you. And so they want to hit you with those things. When we look at Job and all the things that happened to him, we uh, find, and I think it's the second chapter of Job, he said to his friends, everything I feared has come upon me. And so our, our fears and those things that we voice pretty well tell the enemy where they can hit us the hardest and where they can really make it hurt. And so when we think going back to the New Testament, the, the disciples uh, always, O ye of little faith, and O master, do you not care that we are perishing, they said in the boat. Think about all of those times. And it's almost like they really didn't have any other game plan. They didn't have anything else. That's just what they did. And think about how many times the Lord forgave them, the Lord showed love to them, the Lord restored them. And one of my favorites is in John 21 when Peter, after he has denied the Lord, after being warned, you know, that, that's what blows my mind. After being warned, he still did it, didn't he? And when Peter jumps off of the boat and goes to the shore, the Lord is not standing there with a whip. He's not standing there with a rebuke. He didn't really have to rebuke Peter in that. You know why? Because Peter knew he was wrong. And Peter was sorrowful. You remember that night that he did it, the rooster crowed and Peter looked at the Lord and then he wept bitterly. It wasn't the kind of thing to where he was arrogantly continuing in his sin. He wasn't defending himself. He wasn't telling the Lord what I did was right. He wasn't doing any of that. And the Lord restored him. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. In fact, when you think about what Jesus said after he rose from the dead... He comes out of the tomb, and remember, he saw the, the women. And the women were so incredibly faithful, weren't they? Constantly with the Lord, constantly ministering to the Lord. And there they were wanting to minister to him even in his death when it was kind of dangerous to identify with this one who had been crucified, the Lord Jesus. And so uh, there quite a con quite a contrast that's not an unknown tongue, that's mine. Quite a contrast to the disciples. And so the disciples are always kind of tripping up and blowing it. And yet, what did Jesus say to the women? It, it, you know, I'm alive and go and tell, you notice what he said in there? My brothers to meet me in Galilee. Okay, now I want you to think, to throw away all of your... Uh, religiosity and spirituality and all of that. I want you to think like a regular human being, which is what the disciples were. And when somebody comes up to you and uh, they say, hey, I've got good news. Jesus is alive. Okay. Now, if you had denied the Lord like Peter did, if you had run and hidden like Bartholomew and all the rest of them had, I mean, I wonder if their initial reaction, what? Jesus is alive? Oh, Jesus is alive. Have you ever had that moment where you really didn't want to face somebody because you had done them wrong? Where you have to say to them, 
I, I own this, man. This, this is on me, and I'm so sorry. And you were embarrassed. Can you imagine how the disciples felt? Jesus had told them, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer many things from the scribes and the priests. And I must be crucified. And I will be raised again on the third day. How many times did he say that? He only had to say it once. But he said it multiple times. And when you think about the disciples, what do you think their reaction was when they're thinking Jesus is alive? Oh, man, I bet he has something to say to me. Boy, man, now I'm really going to get it. And yet Jesus doesn't say to the women, go tell those losers. Go tell those unfaithful ones. You go tell the scum of the earth that I am alive and I'm, I'm going to confront them on this. He didn't say that, did he? Because they knew they were wrong. And Jesus calls them brothers. That, that ought to bless you. And that ought to give you a clue as to what he thinks of you. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't just simply say, hey, you wanted it, you just have it and go on like that. He still considers you a brother or a sister because we're heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. That means we're family with him. He's our elder brother. He's our bridegroom. He's all of those things that imply a close uh, intimate relationship with him and even when we're at our worst his love never fails and Paul even listed things if all of these things happen nothing can separate us from the love of God and we think about God being good and we think about him being kind and that's what David is saying here through the Holy Spirit's inspiration calling all of the people of God come and see for yourself that the Lord is good we can see him being angry because we're disappointed in ourselves. We can see him punishing us. We can see him just really letting us having it, have it and lowering the boom. Well, think about this. You come to the Lord and you're humble, you're repentant, you're sorry for your sin, you're embarrassed and humiliated. The enemy is saying, don't you dare go before the Lord. How dare you go before the Lord? And yet the Holy Spirit is saying, that's exactly what you need to do. Come to the Lord and taste and see that even at your worst, you're going to find that the Lord is good. He's always good. And he's good especially at those times when you need him. David, in my opinion, when he was in Gath before the Philistine king, he didn't really act like a faith-filled believer like he did in front of Goliath. And yet he still says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I wonder tonight, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Does that rule your heart? Is that the first thing you think about God is that He's good and that He's kind and that He's loving and that He is forgiving? Now, did I say He doesn't discipline us? No. Did I say that He doesn't hate sin? Of course He hates sin, even in your life and in my life. But he hates the sin, but he loves us with an everlasting love. And he is kind to us or we wouldn't be here. He is kind to us or he wouldn't bother restoring us. He's kind to us or the, uh, the scriptures about his mercy would be irrelevant. He's always merciful to his children. I was thinking about that concept of taste. A lot of times when it says taste in the Bible, in both Hebrew and Greek, it means literally what we always do with food. 
we see something, we go, ooh, that looks good. I think I want to have a taste of that. Have you ever noticed how good hamburgers look on commercials? Have you ever noticed they don't ever look quite like that when you uh, bring them home and you open it up and you take them out of that foil bag and you go, what in the world happened here? They don't look quite right. I did a little research on that. And you know what they do when they get food ready for commercials. Um, they use some different things. So taste and see that the Lord is good. That's always good. But taste and see what they made that commercial with? Probably not. You know, one of the first things they use is glue. Appetizing? Well, it might have been when you were in kindergarten. Any of you, were, were you paste eaters? Any of you guys, you know? Or worse, glue. Uh, they wrote in here, it said, Real milk tends to make breakfast cereal soggy and rather unappetizing in pretty short order. You know what doesn't do that? White glue. Yogurt or shampoo have also been known to do the trick. So when they have your, uh, I don't know, your Captain Crunch on there, I like Captain Crunch. And when they pour the milk on it, that's probably glue or yogurt or shampoo. Taste and see that our cereal is great. No, thank you. Not with that on it, right? Here's another thing that they do. They use sponges and cotton balls. It's important for hot foods to look hot. The way to do that is to show steam billowing off. Instead of stopping every few shots to nuke the uh, staged food, photographers will often soak one of these items, a sponge or a cotton ball, in water, microwave it, and skillfully hide it in the shot so you see the steam coming out of that. Oh, taste and see that the food is really good. No, thank you. It's a sham, isn't it? They're setting it up. That's why it doesn't look the same when you buy it. A third thing is they use a, a blowtorch on it or sometimes a branding iron or here's a good one, shoe polish. Did you know that? Most of the time, meat products aren't actually cooked in a commercial because cooking can cause them to shrink and to dry out. So items like steak and hamburgers are carefully seared with a blowtorch, which means they're really, really raw on the inside, aren't they? Afterwards, grill marks are added with a branding iron, and as a finishing touch, some shoe polish or varnish may be applied to provide a nice succulent color. That's why they look so good on TV. And you wonder, how come my Big Mac didn't look like that? How come my food, when I go to that restaurant, doesn't quite look like that? Here's another thing. The uh, food that makes other foods look good. This isn't quite as gross, but uh, the MVP of the food staging world is... Anybody got a guess? You ready? You want to know? Mashed potatoes. Now, I can go for a little mashed potato. I like that. Uh, whipped spuds are used for all sorts of aesthetic purposes. They're added into syringes and then injected straight into meat to plump it up 
and plump up specific parts of a turkey or a roast. And they're dyed different colors and used to play the role of ice cream. You thought you were watching Brahms and, oh, man, that looks good. It's probably mashed potatoes. You know, you got them in your pantry probably. And they're baked into pies to provide a sturdy interior that won't fall into pieces when a slice is taken out. So, next time you bake a pie and you're thinking, oh, it's so runny, there you go. Mashed potatoes will do the trick and see how your family likes it. Oh, taste and see that this chocolate pie, why are there mashed potatoes in the chocolate pie or the apple pie? Well, that's what they use in the commercials, but you wouldn't want to eat that. And why did I say all of that? Number one, I thought it was kind of funny and interesting. Number two, it illustrates the point. Everything you find in this world that looks like God, that looks holy, that looks like it might be the answer, that looks like it might bring joy, that looks like it might bring peace, it's fake. That's why David writes here under the inspiration of the Spirit, don't go looking everywhere else. Don't even look to yourself. The answer is not in you. And it's not in anything in this world. This world is dead. It is sinful. And John wrote in his epistle, it's passing away. It's like we're living on a corpse. It's passing away. It's sick. It's disgusting. All of that. Where do we turn for, for something that is real? We come to the Lord. And we can admire the Lord from a distance. I, uh, about this time of year, I start thinking about, uh, boy, it's only, what, 10 months or something like that till Thanksgiving? Because I love Thanksgiving. Oh, can't you just picture that turkey coming out of the oven? Golden brown, the skin's a little bit crispy, and oh, that smell. Man, I can remember when I was a little kid, we'd go to my grandma's house, and she was one of those that thought you had to cook a turkey for about, I don't know, 20 hours or so. And uh, I can remember waking up on Thanksgiving morning in her house and going, oh, man, that smells good. And uh, you go in there and the food, they're working on the food and all the ladies are putting it together and then they start setting it out. And you know what they tell you? Don't you even think about touching any of that. Okay? You don't go up and sneak a piece of pie. You don't go up and take a piece of, well... You do, but you don't want them to know you did. You're taking the turkey off or anything, but you just look at it. And, oh, it looks so good. And your, your mouth is watering, and it smells so wonderful. But you just sit back and look. Now, how good and how fun would Thanksgiving dinner be if all anyone ever did was set a beautiful table and have beautiful food that smells good that looks good and everything sitting on the table and all you did for thanksgiving was sit and admire the food isn't that beautiful isn't that turkey good yeah you know i bet it's really tender it's a butterball by the way and uh, look, look how good it looks. Oh, boy, the color really came out good this year. Oh, look how many pies we've got. Look at the different vegetables that are there. Okay, God bless you. We'll see you later. And you go home. That, that'd be a depressing, disappointing Thanksgiving. And maybe on the way home, you stop by a convenience store and get a hot dog or something like that. And all you can think about is, oh, look at all of that food. So what's the point? That's what a lot of us do with the Lord. We sing about His goodness. We sing about His love. 
we talk about and we study about who he is, his forgiveness, the the fact that Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we would never have to face the penalty of sin. It was removed. The moment you got saved, the penalty of sin was gone. And we think about how compassionate the Lord is, how the Bible says He is a sympathetic high priest, how the Bible says He is one that is able to give aid when we are tempted. Why? Because He knows what it's like to walk on this earth in flesh. He's been tempted like we are and yet without sin. We think about all of those things. We sing about them. We talk about them. But do we experience them? Because when I look at the Thanksgiving table... And oh man, it gets everything going. All the fat cells in my body break out in the hallelujah chorus, right? But you know what's missing? I need to sit down and I need to actually put some of that on my plate and then cut it and take a bite of it and I taste to see that the turkey is good. I taste to see that the green bean casserole is good. I taste to see that the mashed potatoes are good. I taste to see that the corn is good. I taste to see all of that, the rolls and everything that goes with it, right? You taste and see. And so that's uh, the first point that we would have out of this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What's the idea here? The Lord wants us to know Him by experience. It's more than just knowing about Him. It's more than just observing Him. It's more than just memorizing some facts about Him. The Lord calls us to sit at the table and to experience for ourselves the unfailing, unchanging goodness of God. Now some of us, we kind of think that the Lord changes his mind a lot. He likes us today. He doesn't like us tomorrow. He likes us when we do good. He doesn't like us when we're bad. It, he likes us. When it, we, you know, we even tell our little kids, don't do that, that you know that makes Jesus sad. Have you ever thought about the fact that we are depending upon a three-year-old to make sure Jesus has a good day? And yet the Bible says he never changes. And that means that when he says he loves you, when he says he has forgiven you, when he says that his discipline, even though it may be painful and grievous, it is for your good. It is proof that he loves you. You ever read that? And yet we get so frustrated and we kick and scream. And, you know, I've told you before that it would be nice for us to think that, you know, we are not everything we should be, but at least we're like, adolescents or young adults in the Lord and we still need to grow but we're getting there I think the truth of the matter is spiritually we act more like toddlers than we ever do teenagers or 20-somethings or anything because we kick and scream we get mad we say why is this happening why are you doing this like God owes us an answer in it and instead of taking it saying boy the Lord must love me a lot look at this trial I'm going through and he must have great plans for me and for my future to serve him and I'm going to learn a lot through this and I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ thank you Lord and praise you for your great and wonderful love because we still think that if God loved us we'd never suffer he'd never promise that in the Bible and you know that you got to put it into action and you've got to taste for yourself and see that the Lord is good in your darkest valleys and your deepest trials and in all of your hurt. He's always good because he never, ever changes. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That's what he's teaching you. Why does God allow evil in the world and allow it to come my way and allow the enemy to tempt me? Why does he allow me to sin? Because if you never went through that, you would never know how gracious he really is. We still have this idea that even though we reject it and say we don't believe it, yet emotionally we still think that we earn God's favor. And if we'll do the right things, and everything will be great. And if anything goes wrong in our life, we must have done something wrong. God must be ticked off at us. And the truth of the matter is, He's training you, He's teaching you, and He is letting you get a taste of the bitter cup so that you can get a taste and see of the sweet one that the Lord is good and all things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to His purpose. We've got to lean on the truth of the Word of God. So He wants you to do it not by observation, not just simply by joining with a group of people who say it, but for you personally to experience the goodness of God tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's a wonderful thing that he invites you to the table, the table of his goodness. Number two, the Lord is generous to those who trust him. You ever felt like the Lord was stingy? You ever felt like, why did they get all the talent? Why did they get all the blessings? Why does everything work out so well for them? And then we feel like that the Lord was kind of skimpy, you know, to do another holiday thing. It's that time when you're sitting around the tree and you're opening the presents. You're a little kid and you're looking over there at your cousin. Why does he have four things and I only have two? Why, why are her presents so much bigger than mine? Why did I get these little things? What's going on here? And you feel like somebody maybe shorted you or they skimped on you or they weren't very thoughtful or they must not really care for you very much. You ever feel like that in the body of Christ? And sometimes it's easy to look and we fall into the sin of covetousness, which the Apostle Paul says is idolatry. Now, we put it in other words. Nobody ever says, wow, I really covet that car that you've got or that house that you have. But we joke about it. I'm really jealous. You remember Mrs. Hart? I was sitting down there in the front row in the green chairs. And she was walking by and there was some lady. I don't remember who it was. I just remember Mrs. Hart because she was so funny. And she said, I wish I had that dress and you had a wart on your nose to somebody. You know, we make jokes about those kind of things. But have you ever really secretly, deep down inside, kind of, sort of, in a way, thought that why does everything go your way i wish i could walk in your shoes for a while i wish i could have what you have i wish god would bless me the way he's blessed you well the truth of the matter is there are a lot of times when what solomon said in proverbs better a hat to eat in a house with vegetables than it is to be in a house of feasting with sorrow and strife and there are a lot of people that you look at and say, I wish I could look like them. I wish I could dress like them. I wish I could travel like them. I wish I had the things that they have. 
And the truth of the matter is, if you knew everything that was going on in their life, you would retreat to your little house with your meager food in a, heart a, in a heartbeat because things are not always in this world as they seem. And when you look at somebody else and say, oh, they've just got it all and I'm so depressed, that may be glue instead of milk. That may be mashed potatoes instead of pie. That may have been made by a blowtorch just to look like something. And that's all this world has to offer. And unfortunately, even Christians sometimes fall for that. You see, the truth of the matter is, when we look at the Lord, we need to see how abundantly He has blessed us. You know, the truth of the matter is, the poorest among us in these days lived better than Solomon did in his days. He never had central air conditioning or heat. He didn't have running water into the palace. He couldn't get ice anytime he wanted it. He didn't have ice cream or anything like that. Think about all that you enjoy that you gripe about and take for granted. And yet the Lord has been so good to you. It's a rainy, cold night right now. Oh, it's so rainy and it's so cold, except you look like you're adequately clothed. When you leave this place, you're not going to walk very far until you're in a warm, sealed-off car. You're going to drive home and probably pull into a garage and not even have to really get out in the weather much and go inside and then you can put on whatever you want to put on and your house will be warm and you can eat something and have a bowl of ice cream before you go to bed or something like that. Think, think about all that we do and everything that the Lord has blessed us with. And I've just mentioned temporal things that are going to fade away can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when you see how the lord walked with you in your darkest hours you're going to be amazed at the times when you couldn't handle it but he carried you through and he really was your strength and your shield and your refuge and your strong tower and all of that when you see all the times the lord guided you away from disaster and you pouted and cried and I just don't believe I can't understand why this doesn't happen to me why that job didn't work out I can't understand why I I don't have this or this or this or this and you get to heaven and you look thank you Lord because I was getting ready to walk into a bear trap I was getting ready to walk into something I couldn't handle a den of lions or something and the Lord graciously pulled you away what a blessing it is to have the Holy Spirit living within you. What a blessing it is to know the truth of the word of the Lord. What a blessing it is to know that Christ died for you and for your sins and was raised for your justification. What a wonderful thing it is to know that he is praying for you tonight. No one else may be, but he is and he's faithful. He's defending you tonight. He's got your back at, when the uh, enemy accuses you. All of these things that the Lord has given us. And well, let's put it this way. All this in heaven too. You know? And we forget that. We act like we're going to live here forever. We act like we've been shortchanged when the truth of the matter is this world has nothing to offer us except cereal with glue, pie with mashed potatoes. It's all fake and it never satisfies. But the Lord's got a banquet waiting for you at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. The Lord's got a mansion prepared for you. You're going to walk on streets of gold. 
Can you imagine what that must be like? You're going to be living in a place someday where there's no more pain. Lost people can't say that. Their eternity is nothing but darkness, loneliness, and pain. Weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. In another church, we had a guy that was called to preach. And so he preached his first sermon. And this is a guy with a college degree. And he said, in hell, there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. So what in the world? Terry Elkins said, what, how do you ganish something? Is that done by a ganat or a ganu? Yeah. That's the only thing they have to look forward to. Think about that. Now, you've heard this before. Be compassionate because living on this earth is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. And for you, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. And one day you're going to be out of here in the presence of the Lord. No wonder the Apostle Paul says that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we don't even access all of them. And we don't even recognize all of them because of our immaturity. And we still think blessings have a Mercedes emblem on them. Well, they may or they may not. But that's not really where the riches are. It's like that old story, it's corny, about the guy who went to heaven and he took all of his gold with him. And he's got those suitcases full of gold. And he stands in front of Peter and Peter says, you know, uh, what you got in there? And you open it up. I've got my gold. And Peter said, good, call the angel of maintenance. We've got some potholes to fill in, right? I know I've told that before, even just recently. But I'm over 40. I can repeat myself, right? Isn't that right? Amen. And, uh, but it illustrates the point. The value system that God has is so different than ours. You are super blessed, according to the Apostle Paul. Mega blessed. May the Lord open up our eyes to see what real blessings are. And they're not just simply the things that we can see or the things that other people have. We must not become envious. The Lord is generous to those who trust in him. Number three. Let me hurry up here. The Lord wants our worship to be genuine. Okay. Oh, fear the Lord, it says in verse 9. Well, why is he telling that? We're believers. Why is he telling us that? Because sometimes believers just go through the motions. You know, you can sing like I can uh, most of the verses of the old rugged cross and make out a grocery list at the same time. And I wonder how many times in church we're singing a song, I could sing of your love forever. Can you believe she's wearing that? That's a sin. But it's so easy to do. If you've ever seen that little movie uh, Up, and there are the dogs in there, and they're chasing after uh, the people that are in it. It's an animated thing, a kid thing kind of. And then all of a sudden they go, squirrel! And all the dogs are distracted by that. You know, that's kind of the way Christians are. How much does it take to distract? Well, now let's ask this question. When you're worshiping God, how little does it take to distract you? I can remember uh, back at Bethel Baptist in Owasso when I was a kid. We thought it was really funny when the pastor was praying. And we weren't saved. It didn't mean anything to us. 
But when the pastor was praying in there, we would cough or clear our throats and then count how many other people did it as well. I mean, it's so easy to get distracted. And it's so easy to get your mind off of the right things. And so David says, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Not the lost people, saints, the holy ones, the set-apart ones. It's what you became when you were a, a saved. You are a saint. We could call you saint and then your name. Saint is not some special statue of a person who lived a long time ago and worked a miracle and the Vatican declared them to be a saint. No, all believers, all genuinely born-again believers are saints, set apart for the glory of God. And that's who he's talking to here. He's not saying, oh, fear the Lord, all you people who are drug addicts or alcoholics or into pornography or anything like that. No, saints. Why? Because sometimes... Saints don't act like saints. And we get distracted just like everyone else. Isaiah 29:13 is a verse that Jesus quoted. And uh, the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth or with their lips and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. You see what he's saying to us? And David is calling upon the saints, the holy ones, those who know the Lord and ought to know the Lord and serve the Lord. We get so distracted, like with that, right? And we get so distracted. What's that? What's going on? What are they doing on that? Instead of focusing upon the Lord. See how easy it is for us to fall into sin? And then number four. It says, the Lord takes responsibility for his people. How many of you are genuinely born again? You've trusted in Christ alone for the full payment of your sins and trusting in him alone to get you to heaven. Would you say amen? Okay, here's a, here's a good word for you. The Lord takes responsibility for his people. He knows you. He knows what you need. He knows where you've been. He knows your scars. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're talented and equipped. He knows where you're not. He knows what you need today. Give us this day our daily bread. And guess what? He'll still do it 10 years from now, 20 years from now. He knows your situation. He knows where you are. Well, what if President Biden does something and messes up the economy? God's already made provision for you for that. Well, what if the Fed raises interest rates? God's already made provision for that. Well, what if gas prices go up and they double? God's already made provision for that. He is going to take care of you. Trust Him. Trust Him. Don't act like the world. Trust Him. Can you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit tonight saying, Quit worrying. Trust me. Yeah, but, 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 but what if I already know what's going to happen Trust me, I'll provide for you. I'm not short on supply. Corey Tinboom says that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if I need something, he'll sell one. Isn't that right? He's not short on cash. He's not short on resources. He's not short on power. The old hymn says, God will take care of you. That is something that we need to think about and rest in because David says there is no want to those who fear him. 
And that's the deal. I don't need to worry about my needs. What I need to be worrying about is, am I really honoring God? Do I have the right view of God? Am I in a right relationship with God? That's the key. It's not how much I need. The Lord knows and He'll provide whatever I need. My thing is just to fear Him. And I can't fear the Lord if I'm worried. I can't fear the Lord if I'm afraid of what the economy is going to do. I can't fear the Lord if I'm afraid of what some boneheaded politician is going to do in Washington. My focus has to be upon the Lord. And then David gives an illustration. The young lions. See, these are the king of the jungle, the king of the beast. And they can get anything they need and anything they want and terrorize everybody in the jungle. And David says, the young lions, well, they lack and they suffer. Suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Now, Please understand, he did not say, if you will fear me, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you anything you want. He's not bribing you. He's just simply saying, if you will honor God as God in the proper way, he'll make sure you have everything you need. He will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly, another psalm says. Okay? Now here's our problem. How do you define a good thing? Now, in your uh, house, if you have a five-year-old, you don't let the five-year-old define what is good. Because he would take your paycheck, and what would he spend it on? And the electric bill would never be paid, and you'd be cold. The gas bill would never be paid, and you'd be cold. And without ability to cook. If you let him spend it, he would kill himself because he'd sweeten himself to death, wouldn't he? That's why uh, parents have to control all of that. And every once in a while, yeah, you can have a piece of candy. Oh, yeah, we'll buy that kind of cereal that you like. Hey, we can go to the circus or we can go to a ball game or something. They do that every once in a while, but first things first. And the kid doesn't know what's good for him, but the parents do. And here's the thing. If you really trust the Lord, fear Him and honor Him, then you will let Him define what is a good thing as opposed to what's a harmful thing. And some of the things in your life that really will bless you and enhance your life would ruin me. And my Heavenly Father knows that. And He's so good to me, He goes, no, no, we're not going to do that today. Maybe later. And He knows the things that maybe I can have that would, but that would be a train wreck in your life. Or for your children or something like that. And the Lord goes, no, no, not, not for you. Because he individually knows us. He doesn't discipline in a one-size-fits-all situation. Well, you're all going to get a spanking. If one of you messes up, all of you are going to get it. He doesn't do that. He works on you individually because his goal is not to punish. That was put on Christ. He bore our punishment. His goal is to correct his goal is to bring us out. His goal is to, well, Hebrews chapter 12 says, No chastisement for the present seems uh, good, but grievous, grievous, I mean, and afterward it yields a harvest of righteousness. He's making you fruitful. He's teaching you. So trust Him. He'll take care of you. And here's the last thought, and uh, we'll be done. Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
And Andrew Murray, that great prayer warrior, said so many years ago, and we'll end on this, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to Him. You know, it's not your business to attain everything and get everything and all of that. Your biggest problem is to wholly, fully trust the Lord and to honor Him. And He'll take care of all of that. Well, don't we have some responsibilities and disciplines and all that? Yeah, but if you're fully honoring the Lord, you'll do them. It's when you don't honor the Lord that you don't live right. So see what He's doing? He gives you the command and then He gives you the power. And the power comes from Himself. Just walk in the Spirit, Paul said, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We've got to just honor and trust God. So, trust and obey, for there's no other way to what? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Yeah, you get it? And that's what David's point is. Don't worry, trust. Stop trying, start trusting, and rest in the Lord and glorify Him, and you're going to be okay. Because He is a good God, and He invites you to pull up a chair and taste and see. That's a metaphor, right? Taste and see, personally experience that the Lord is good. And all God's people said, Amen. I want that. And I want that for all of us. So let's seal it in prayer. Okay? Heavenly Father, as we've taken this last 45 minutes to look into your word, and we feasted on your word because your word always satisfies. And the sermon may be lousy, but the word of God is always good. The preaching and the illustrations may be inadequate, but the word is always sufficient. Help us to understand it's not the word of the preacher that we need, it's the word of God that we need. And Lord, I pray tonight that this poor, lispering, stammering tongue has brought glory to you. And I pray that it's caused us to think a little bit more about what the Scripture says and about who you are. I pray tonight that we have all seen you as we've looked at the Word of God. Reveal yourself to us and show us, Lord, show us how you give us the invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, Lord, we want to see that. Because we've tasted the things of the world and they're nasty. They're awful. They're disgusting. They're terrible. And we spit them out as soon as we get them in our mouths. And if we do happen to swallow them, they, they make us sick. They don't do what they claim to do or what they look like they will do. Help us to understand there's only one place we will find what we really need. And that is in the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And let us trust you, to fear you, to honor you, and to have faith for everyday life as well as for eternity because you will indeed bless us and you'll take care of us and you don't dangle things in front of us and then pull them away like the world does. You're honest with us. You're clear with us. And help us to understand if you don't provide it, then it's not good for us. And if you do provide it, it is good for us. Help us not to misuse it or waste it, but to be good stewards. And never let us take what you give, it, give us and make an idol out of those things. Let us bless you and praise your holy name. 
So Lord, let us get a good taste tonight of the goodness of the Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.